From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Barry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we take a closer look at stories from our radio newsrooms across the country. Today, On Deadline is looking back on two years of fighting in Ukraine, with no end in sight as the country continues to battle against a Russian invasion. February 24th, 2022. That day now lives in infamy for the people of Ukraine and for more people around the globe impacted by the ongoing warfare. What Russia first declared was a special military operation along its border with Ukraine has since turned into the largest attack on a European country since World War II. Ukraine has lost 31,000 troops in the war, and countless more have been injured, according to the nation's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. By comparison, Zelensky said an estimated 180,000 Russian soldiers have been killed, and tens of thousands have been injured. But some nations have put those numbers even higher. For example, the United States believes Ukraine's casualties are actually closer to 70,000, while the United Kingdom's defense ministry estimates Russia's death toll could be as high as 350,000 people. No matter what way you look at it, this war has had a considerable human cost. And what's it all about? The motivation behind Russia's invasion seems to be twofold. First, Russia doesn't want Ukraine to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also known as NATO. That's a military alliance between 29 European countries and two North American countries with the purpose of preserving peace and security in the North Atlantic area. The second reason for the invasion can be boiled down to Russian President Vladimir Putin's ambition. Putin has shown countless times that he's willing to take risks to remain in power and to stretch his power with the invasion of Ukraine being seen by many as a testing of the global waters. To share more on the invasion and the two years of fighting, Andrew Jenks, professor and Russian history scholar at California State University, Long Beach, joined Odyssey. So let's start with the Ukrainian government. They stopped sharing the number of dead among the military a long time ago. What do you think is going on there? What's our best estimate and why are they doing this? Is it about morale? Well, yeah, it's probably about morale, but it's also, I think, just uh, difficult to pinpoint exactly what the losses are. I mean, I've heard anywhere up to 50,000 Ukrainian soldiers that have died. That's not counting the civilian soldiers. Uh, Zelensky today said about 31,000, and the Russian dead soldiers around 120 to 150,000 or so. And again, this doesn't even count civilian deaths and the damage to infrastructure. So it's, it's enormous. And I think that at a certain point, you know, it becomes really difficult to continue you telling your people that uh, more people have died. What are other NATO allies pledging in support of Ukraine at this point? Well, other NATO allies are scared. They're scared because they think the United States is no longer going to be dependable. Uh, and also, they're realizing that they're going to have to uh, dramatically increase their military expenditures to prepare themselves against a possible Russian invasion, but also to funnel aid to Ukraine. So Germany has been especially sort of focused on trying to increase its military budgets. And they have been doing so, actually, uh, compared to what they had done in the past. But again, I'm not sure that that's going to make a difference in the battlefield at this juncture. Biden just unloaded uh, hundreds of more sanctions on Russia. Will they have any significant impact? No, they won't. I mean, 
the, the lesson of sanctions is that they never work. And what sanctions paradoxically do is that they, they make Russia more self-sufficient. And Russia can also turn to other countries to make up for the business that has lost with the West. So, for example, Russia is producing more oil now, getting more oil revenue now than it did before the war started. Russia's economy is now growing more than the German economy. So if you look at the economic statistics and what sanctions have done, the ones we've imposed in the past, Russia is actually more self-sufficient, more independent, and it's found alternative markets for its oil. So, no, it doesn't work. At this point, do you think Ukraine, Zelensky, will try to negotiate an end to the war that includes some sort of giving up of some of its land? In the past, he said that's not going to happen. Do you think that will happen? I'm not sure it can happen because Zelensky is also being pushed from his right to not give a, a single inch of territory and to take back everything that Russia has taken, including Crimea back in 2014. And, and I just don't think that, that he can afford politically and perhaps even it might be at the cost of his life to begin to compromise territory. But in fact, I think that's what has to happen. I mean, I, I would say that the best outcome would be a kind of frozen war where, you know, you have low levels of conflict and that uh, Zelensky would manage the situation perhaps by giving a couple of compromises with territory and waiting for Putin to die. All right. And then just briefly before I let you go, switching gears slightly, Alexei Navalny, Putin killed him one way or another is what the general consensus is. And now the body has been given back to Navalny's mom. Uh, what do we know about a funeral and where it might be? And if it does happen, there's going to be a big turnout. There will be a big turnout, but depending, I, I mean, this is a really murky area, right? And I think that we're just going to have to uh, wait and see what the Russian authorities will allow. They are perfectly aware that they don't want to turn this into some sort of political mobilization turning point for the opposition. On the other hand, there really is little ability of the opposition to stage broader kinds of protest on the occasion of the funeral of Navalny. The Russian authorities, the FSB, uh, the secret police have done a good job of doing its sweeps and finding all the people that might participate in them. And the intimidation factor of getting rid of Navalny the way that the, that the Russian authorities have, I think has had a profound silencing effect on the opposition. While nations haven't sent ground troops to Ukraine to stave off the invaders, aid has been sent through other means. Weaponry, machines, funding, those have all been sent by Ukraine's allies, including the U.S. But now that same support, once given without pause, is balancing on a razor's edge. Since the start of the war, the U.S. has sent billions of dollars in funding to Ukraine, something that a majority of Americans were at first on board with. Two years later, and the sentiment is beginning to change. ABC News polling found the number of Americans who felt the U.S. was doing too much to support Ukraine rose from 14% in April 2022 to 41% last September. Another survey from Harris Poll and the Quincy Institute found that 70% want talks to end the war. Nathan Tech, a Foreign Service officer and spokesman at the U.S. State Department, joined Odyssey to share more on the situation. Further funding of Ukraine's defense, uh, it's widely known it's being held up by partisan fighting in Congress. Can you highlight just how important it is for Ukraine to get American funding? 
So it's absolutely critical. I think folks need to really take a step back here and look at how dire the situation looked two years ago. Two years ago, it looked like Putin was going to roll his tanks across that border into Ukraine, decapitate Ukraine's government, install a pupper government loyal to Moscow. And it looked like the West might be fractured and weakened. Instead, the exact opposite has happened. President Zelensky stood strong. He pushed back the Russians, uh, took back 50% of the territory that the Russians had initially taken. And NATO is stronger and more united than ever, with with, uh, Finland joining the alliance and Sweden soon to do so as well. Uh, But that was all thanks to steadfast American and European allied support for Ukraine. And and now we're at another inflection point in this conflict. Ukraine has already seen significant progress but they need their allies and friends to stand with them to help them finish the job because Ukraine's not only fighting for their own security and safety, they're fighting for their worlds as well. And sure, you talk about NATO and American allies, but what's your response to our allies in Europe and countries like Taiwan who are now seeing all of this happening in the United States with regards to holding up the funding because of political infighting? Does that make us look like a less than dependable defense partner? Are they worried that the financial support to Ukraine is going to dry up, and what does that mean for us as far as our allyship in the future? Well, look, it, it, it is certainly important for, I think, uh, folks to understand that if we abandon Ukraine, if we fail to impose a price on uh, Putin for what he's doing, he will keep going. And the cost to the United States and our NATO allies and our partners in Europe and around the world will rise. The dictator, dictators around the world are looking at what's happening in Ukraine, uh, and we don't want them to draw the wrong lesson. So that's why it is absolutely critical that Congress give us the tools that we need to stand with Ukraine, to stand with our allies. The Europeans have done their fair share. They've pitched in more money than we have, actually. And so uh, it is, uh, it's, it's absolutely critical that, that this happens, and we believe Ukraine can win. Uh, the, the Ukrainians have shown remarkable resilience, courage, creativity, and bravery in decimating the, the Russian naval fleet, in destroying a significant part of Russia's ground forces, and we need to continue, continue to stand with them as they do that. Like most things that end up in Congress, funding for Ukraine has become a partisan issue. Some Republicans want to use it as a budget bargaining chip. And Democrats are saying it's a humanitarian issue that demands the U.S. send funds. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is one of several politicians who recently visited Ukraine to show support for the nation, even if aid isn't currently being passed in Congress. But is his trip being made in vain? Margaret Brennan from Face the Nation joined Odyssey last week to discuss Schumer's trip and the congressional funding talks. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is in Ukraine. He's trying to reassure President Volodymyr Zelensky and others there that Congress will come through with aid. Margaret, this is a surprise trip, and it's coming on uh, the anniversary as the Ukraine war reaches its two-year mark. Yes, uh, this is a really... Um, sad moment for Ukrainians as they look at the two-year mark in this war and a moment where it appears that Russia's Vladimir Putin is emboldened just within recent days, having, um, as the U.S. says, been responsible for the killing of one of his main political opponents who was already behind bars, Alexei Navalny, and now looking at a situation where, despite international condemnation for the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia is watching the U.S. Congress sit 
on a package of billions of dollars in military aid while they're on vacation and without a clear timeline on whether or not the House of Representatives and the Republican Speaker of the House will will put it forward for a vote to approve it. So this feels, uh, I'm sure, for the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States like a dangerous moment in time. We're going to talk to her about whether these senators and other lawmakers who continue to visit Kiev and pledge support from the U.S. can actually deliver on it and the consequences if they don't. Many have wondered how long Russia's momentum could last. Ukraine put up a feistier battle against the Goliath than many expected. But instead of backing down or trying to broker peace, Russia appears to be preparing a new offensive against Ukraine. Zelensky said it could begin in early summer. The Associated Press noted that a new phase of the war has brought bleak developments for Ukraine. It said that, quote, Moscow's troops are driving in, smashing towns and cities with their superior firepower, despite suffering high losses of troops and equipment. General Richard Behrens, a British military officer who is co-chair of a defense consultancy, also said this, As things stand, neither side has won. Neither side has lost. Neither side is anywhere near giving up. And both sides have pretty much exhausted the manpower and equipment that they started with. To continue, analysts agree that Ukraine needs the $60 billion in military aid that's been languishing in the United States Congress. Reuters reported that House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries has said that he's leaving every legislative option on the table. Still, the funding faces an uphill battle in the House of Representatives, thanks in part to President Joe Biden's potential 2024 election challenger, former President Donald Trump. Trump is against the funding, and Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson is for Trump. In the White House, President Biden is pushing for the funding. Look, the Ukrainian people have fought so bravely and heroically, they've put so much on the line, and the idea that now, when they're running out of ammunition, we'd walk away? I find it absurd. That's what Biden told reporters following a recent call with Zelensky. He set up a meeting with congressional leaders this week to push talks forward. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, and Myron Kaplan. I'm Lauren Berry. Thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed.